0: In our first episode, we heard the beginning of Mimi's story, how her struggles with her weight in her childhood, teen years, and early adulthood marred and then utterly destroyed the beautiful relationship she originally had with food. But a glimmer of hope returned when she began cooking for others. Her relationship with her mother-in-law also helped her find herself again in the kitchen, Then I came home with an announcement one day that would change the course of her life in unimaginable ways.
1: Yeah, we had been married a couple of years and you had the opportunity, a, a job offer in Australia, which was just nuts. I mean, beyond the realm of, of what I ever thought. I would say at that point, I was becoming a lot more interested in cooking. I was really honing my skills, getting cookbooks from the library. I was purchasing cookbooks. I was watching a lot of food programming. And never really I think you had had sort of mentioned it to me a couple times about like you should go to culinary school you know and, and I think I think in my heart of hearts it was always sort of like a secret dream of mine but then I would think about like I don't I don't really want to be a chef I mean chefs the the hours are grueling and terrible I mean you work basically nights and weekends like all the time that you would ever want to spend with your family you're at work. It's a huge sacrifice I mean working in the food industry truly is is very difficult. it is. Back-breaking work. It's physically very difficult. It's really hard on your body. It's intensely stressful. There's just something about working in a kitchen that's incredibly stressful.
0: But then we land in Australia and you get off the plane and suddenly find yourself dead smack in the middle of one of the most amazing culinary cities in the world.
1: Yeah, it was something that I didn't really think about when we were going. I didn't think to myself like, wow, I'm going to this huge culture like I mean, of course it was like, wow, you know, we're going to Australia like vegemite and you know it's prawns, not shrimp but I I really didn't consider the idea of it being a culinary adventure for me, which is what it really turned out to be. There was outrageously excellent restaurants everywhere you looked. The coffee culture was incredible. Every part of What you put in your mouth there came from an incredible culture. There was an African restaurant up the street from us that was amazing. I mean, I had never eaten anything that used spices the way they used spices. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And while I was there, my interest in food and my interest in food culture and my interest in sort of like higher level cuisine really took off. I started preparing stuff in home that was really high-end. And after we had been there for about a year, you moved to another company, and that allowed me to stay home. And so suddenly, I was a stay-at-home wife, which, I mean, I had never not worked before. This was the first time in my adult life. I didn't have a nine-to-five or longer, you know, or two jobs or three jobs. I mean, I just was not working and I had expendable income. And because of the people that I was meeting, they were in the food culture, I was following food bloggers and and people on Twitter, you know, that were like in the food scene in Sydney, I started finding out about a bunch of schools and classes and all sorts of different opportunities to study with all of these incredible chefs. And so, I did one class, and, I mean, it just blew my hair back. I was like, this is the coolest thing I have ever done in my whole life, and I want more of this. So uh, that started a whole process. There was a French cooking school led by this tiny, angry Frenchman. It It was straight out of a Monty Python skit, but the man was absolutely brilliant. And I did a whole program there, starting with knife skills, you know, all the way through to sauces. Like, I mean, these intense French preparations. And I mean, he would like get angry and be like yelling and slamming fists down on cutting boards. I mean, he really was. He was like a little Napoleon in the kitchen. But I I learned a lot of like very exacting French preparation from that and a lot of knife skills. And then, you know, while I was doing that, I was moonlighting at other places. I I was able to take a series of sushi classes with some really renowned uh, sushi chefs. I mean, we spent two classes just on the rice alone and and how to cool the rice down and how, how exactly to rinse the rice and how to know when the rice was ready to be cooked. And I mean, so intricate. I took some French dessert classes, you know, really difficult things, creme brulee and custard that really takes a lot of technical skill. And then while I was doing all of those things, there's a seafood market in Sydney. It's the second largest in the Western Hemisphere, an absolutely incredible place. But they had a a beautiful teaching school upstairs and they would have celebrity chefs come in and do these series you know class series and they were very expensive but you would get one-on-one very very small class sizes i think there were 12 kitchen stations basically so there was a show kitchen where there was an amphitheater a small amphitheater you would sit and there were cameras on the chef looking down at their hands you know looking at their faces but you were also like kind of right there in the front row because there were only about a dozen of you
0: yeah i think this was right around the time when i like stopped seeing a whole lot of you (laughs) like i would come home and you'd be like gotta go see you you know like this is the point where you just submerged yourself in it. Y- yeah. I mean, you were quite literally just saturating yourself. Yes. It was just, I mean, it was incredible to watch, you know. And of course, you would come home and make these meals and I would just be like, what the hell? They were just amazing. I know that was the big turning point. That was a huge turning point because I saw it. It was like suddenly you had found your calling.
1: Yeah, I, it was like someone turned a light switch on I I always had all you know I had the sort of intrinsic knowledge of the food I had the cultural background in the food I had all the stuff but I didn't really have like the technical I mean sure I, I had my knife skills were good I was probably your better than average home cook but I I didn't have the technical knowledge and this was the technical knowledge and I could not get enough of it I could not get enough of it
2: It's frustrating paying for mail-order meals that taste like cafeteria food. So say goodbye to paying for blah and hello to Mimi's Macros, where flavor meets convenience. Mimi ensures that every dish is a culinary masterpiece. In fact, Mimi is so confident that you will love her food that there are no subscriptions and no minimums. That's right, you can order as little or as much as you want with no obligations. Visit mimismacros.com to check delivery availability in your area. Mimi's Macros. Let us do the cooking. You focus on life.
1: These were people where like, you know, you would have to go and stand for two hours at a book signing to even like, you know, have them sign your cookbook. And so you were getting to sit four feet away from them while they prepared a meal and then you would come up and taste it with them and then they would open these giant double doors. It was like being on Food Network and there were these 12 benches fully equipped. I mean, you had your own stove. You had, you know, drawers full of pots and pans and you had your own set of beautiful, beautiful knives. and there were all these like kitchen wenches and they would scurry around and they would bring you a cart and on the cart was everything you needed to prepare that And it was not just one thing. It was usually like a three course meal that you would prepare. And I mean, there were only a dozen of you. And so they would come around and and speak to you and they would, you know, stand behind you and show you how to hold the knife the right way or show you, you know, I mean, the amount I got from that with just spending two hours in the presence of some of these people and then not just like watching them cook, but cooking in front of them And having them critique you, and you know, compliment this, or have you changed this, or did you taste this yet? Maybe a little bit more salt here. I think this could use some acid. I mean, it's the stuff that I do now in the kitchen. But being on the other end of that, and having the wealth of knowledge, you and I went to that to Aria, you know, Matt Moran's restaurant, and I mean, the wait list to get in there was—I mean, I think we waited four to six months for a reservation, and a meal the meal was I, mean, I i there's not even words for it
0: so who was your favorite chef that you learned from
1: Probably Matt Moran, I have to say. I I took more than one class with him. His technical level was just, it was just exacting. It was absolutely exacting. And he was so knowledgeable. And even though he looks very imposing, I would imagine, like if you work for him in a kitchen, he's terrifying. But he was actually very kind and very invested. You know, you figure, you know, you're paying a lot of money to be there. You're not just like someone who uh oh, someone likes to cook and you're going and you're doing these these classes with these experts you're you're up there already you're honing skills you have something in mind whether it's you're you're trying to make this a career or you're just so darn passionate about it
0: yeah this was the big leagues. and and, and I remember you coming home sometimes you know it'd be pretty late and you had really been drilled on some. they were kind and they were good but they're also very exact oh yeah
1: yeah for sure i mean they you know you were there for a reason it wasn't just like you know oh i'm just here to like drink wine and and like watch the chef make this food like you were you were going to learn these incredible things So at the end, after everything was prepared, they would eat your food. The chef would taste your food. And they had, you know, wine pairings and they would talk about, usually they had a sommelier there who would talk about the wine pairing with the food and what kind of fish you were preparing or what kind of this. And then you would sit down and you would eat. And um, you would get to speak, you know, one-on-one with these very famous people, you know, who were masters, absolute masters at their craft and, and get to talk to them about what is your favorite way to prepare whatever you know and they love talking about food that's the thing about people that make food their business it's all they think about they they eat sleep breathe it you know it's 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 just it's part of them it's yeah i mean you know it was, it was I, I really was like sub- absolutely submerged in it that experience of of being in australia it's so interesting to me because i did not go into it with with even the thought that it would be something that would lead me into some culinary destination but it just kind of happened and it was amazing i mean it, it took everything that i had known every dish i had ever made It took everything and it kind of distilled it down into this like knowledge and I I feel like I gained so much there. It broadened so many horizons and I became comfortable with so many cuisines that I had never cooked before. And so when we left there and we came back to the States, I felt supremely capable. I felt like I could cook anything. I could do anything. It was just a matter of what I felt like doing.
2: Whether you're an athlete, health-conscious foodie, or on a mission to shed those extra pounds, Mimi's Macros has got your back. Savor the taste of success with our delicious macro-balanced meals. Plus, there are no subscriptions and no minimums. Visit mimismacros.com to check delivery availability in your area. Mimi's Macros. Let us do the cooking. You focus on life.
0: Yeah, you had, you had sort of been, like, in the cauldron yeah. for those years while we were there. Yeah. So all those years, you were just stewing. I mean, yeah. and, and I remember that. And, and you were so intense.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and, and it was an exciting time for me, too, because I got to see that in you. It was yeah. It was really neat to see. But then, yeah, we came back here, and... It was just sort of like...
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it was very anticlimactic, right? Because we came back and, the you know, our home was being rented. Mm-hmm. So we were living with your parents. And so, I I mean, I was sharing a kitchen. So I wasn't... I mean, I was cooking here and there, but I wasn't about to be like, hey, we're going to have some sort of like insane, you know, fancy dish. Because, you, you know, your dad would have been like, I'm sorry, what?
0: Yeah, dad Dad was not food adventurous.
1: Right, right. So, you know, we were sharing a kitchen with them. And then you know, six weeks after we came back, we had the opportunity to adopt Olivia. Right. And I went into mom mode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't want to say I lost it. Like, I still had all of that knowledge. And I still banged out some pretty awesome meals. Oh, yeah. You know, over the next few years. But it became full-time parenthood for me.
0: Yeah, but I do remember it was during that time that we would have people over for dinner and, like, our pastor and his wife was one instance of this. And when they finished the meal, both of them looking at you and saying, why aren't you doing this for a living? Yeah. This is incredible. I've never eaten anything like this. I want, I'm so full, I'm stuffed, but I want to keep eating. Like, why aren't you doing this for a living? And, you know, your answer was always the same. You know, you would say, like, I don't I don't want to be a chef.
1: Right. You well, know? and that felt like it was my only avenue. That felt like it was my only avenue. was like, if I'm going to be a chef, then I have to work in a restaurant. Right. And I have to follow restaurant hours. And I don't want to do that, especially once we started having children. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't really, you know, we were adopting children at that point. The last thing I wanted to do was be away from the house.
0: Well, and it was right in there. I remember it was, you know, after we had, we had adopted and we had fostered a couple times, you started going to that. You decided you are decide going to go take a class at that place that was up, up north. Um, and yeah. what was funny is that, like, you took a class, and at the end of the class, they were like, could you teach here?
1: I forgot about that. I think you actually bought me a gift certificate for maybe it was a birthday or something. And did we go together or no? I went. I went on my own. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a very small little cooking studio. It was over by GE, and it's not there anymore. But it was the same sort of thing. It was a very small little cooking school, and you would go. And there was a, a fantastic chef. Her name was Rachel. It went very quickly from coming to a couple classes to prepping the food beforehand and, like, making just, like, a killer sauce and, like, taking photos and, like, garnishing things and, like, making our plates really pretty and, like, just totally, like, geeking out in the kitchen, you know, as opposed to me, like, being on the other side, being like, okay, now how do I dice this onion? You Mm -hmm. know, it was just funny.
0: Throughout all of this, the weight issue didn't change. Things didn't get much worse till later. Your weight started to become a challenge.
1: Yeah, and I, I definitely yo-yoed up and down. You know, um, the first significant weight loss I had was when I was pregnant with Joey. Right. So my first pregnancy, and I lost 30 pounds during that pregnancy because I didn't eat anything. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I was so sick uh, that I just did not eat, and that was the very first time that I lost any significant amount of weight. I mean, up until then, you know, I would, like I said, I would get, you know, fits and starts. I would be like, oh, I'm going to do keto. And I would do keto and I would lose four pounds, you know, the first week, which now I look back on, it's just all water weight. You know, I mean, you stop eating carbs, your body, you know, cycles out all that water that's, that's ordinarily it would be using to hold on to those carbs in your body. And you pee it all out and you're like, man, I lost four pounds this week. And then it's miserable, right? You're like, you no carbs, your body's going into ketosis, you have that horrible taste in your mouth. And, you know, the next week I would lose a half a pound. And I'm like, okay, I'm killing myself. And I lost a half a pound. This is stupid. And the next week, same thing. Wouldn't cheat. I'd be, like, perfect on my diet. I wouldn't lose anything. The fourth week. So at this point, I'm like, I'm hangry, I'm mad, I want bread. Like, it's just stupid. You know, I would lose nothing or I gain a pound because maybe I'd be on my period that week yeah. and I'd be like you know what screw this like I, that was the thing for me is like man if I hit like a month and I really didn't see any changes I was just done and I think for me because it triggered so much like diet trauma from my past that it just anytime I felt like I was restricting myself I, I would just it would just start bringing up like a lot of really unhealthy stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, in this time period, I just kind of yo-yoed up and down. You know, I kind of thought like after I had the baby, like, oh, you know, everyone says that breastfeeding like just makes the pounds fall off. So I lost 30 pounds and now I'm going to breastfeed and I'm going to lose even more. Well, let me tell you what, I delivered that baby and I wasn't sick anymore and I was starving because I had basically just essentially survived on like very little food for nine months. And breastfeeding made me super hungry. My appetite came roaring back. And if I even started to restrict it all, my milk supply would be affected. So I just gained that 30 pounds back, no problem, maybe plus, you know, another 10. And then I got pregnant again. And then same thing, the weight, you know, came off because I was sick. And then same thing, breastfeeding, appetite came back, weight came back. Like, I mean, it was just you know, it was just a longer cycle. It was over the course of two years now, instead of, you know, a six month keto cycle where I would lose 10 pounds and then gain back 15 or whatever, you know, and it was just, you know, it was basically, I don't want to say starvation, but it was, I was restricting my calories so much that my body really had no choice, but to let go of some of that weight. And I feel like I, I kind of, you know, skipped over this, but, you know, we've talked about fostering and we've talked about adopting. And the reason why all that was going on was because we could not have children. You know, we got married and we could not have children. And, you know, we went to the doctor and they started running labs on me and looking at my endocrine functions. And they were like, oh, you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. I mean, my, my hormones were absolutely wrecked. Which makes a lot of sense. The fact that I gained a lot of weight, you know, during puberty—that's generally what happens with PCOS. You know, once I once I understood what was going on, I was able to take all of these symptoms that I had had throughout my whole life and go, "Oh, I'm not this way because I'm eating giant platefuls of food, or I'm in my closet binge eating. There's something wrong inside of me, and that something wrong inside of me made it that I couldn't get pregnant." and you know made it that i could not lose weight i mean i just was like stuck in stasis and that was very frustrating it was very frustrating but i think it did allow me to i don't want to say let myself off the hook a little bit but i at least had an explanation especially for my childhood of why eating the same food as my family i was big and they weren't i was finally able to look at something scientifically and say aha there was at least an explanation as to why I was on that path in the first place. So obviously, you know, here we were, we were married and fostering and adopting and continuing to try to have children, and I had multiple miscarriages. And with one miscarriage, they did a DNC instead of me just having the miscarriage at home. And whatever that was, whatever was going on with not being able to get pregnant, that DNC fixed things because three months later, I got pregnant again and without any help. We had done all the other pregnancies were a result of IUIs or even IVF. I would get pregnant and then I would have a miscarriage. And this time it was a spontaneous pregnancy. We were not trying. We were not doing any sort of fertility treatments. I just wound up pregnant and I started losing weight. Two things that had never happened before in my whole life were like going on at the same time. And I think through the process of having my children and... Losing the weight, at least while I was pregnant, each time and inching smaller each time, I sort of started to have a glimmer. You know, I had kind of given myself this story in my head of like, you are a fat person. You will always be a fat person. This is who you are. There is no sense in changing it. You will literally never be able to be a small person. And I think being pregnant and losing that weight, even though it wasn't a lot and I wasn't getting like tiny, But I was losing a significant amount to feel how much better that felt on my body, how much healthier I felt, you know, even with that little bit of weight being off. And I started to change my perception of what could be possible. I just started to have an inkling in the back of my mind of like, it doesn't have to be like this forever.
2: It's frustrating paying for mail order meals that taste like cafeteria food. So, say goodbye to paying for blah and hello to Mimi's Macros, where flavor meets convenience. Mimi ensures that every dish is a culinary masterpiece. In fact, Mimi is so confident that you will love her food that there are no subscriptions and no minimums. That's right, you can order as little or as much as you want with no obligations. Visit Mimi's to check delivery availability in your area. Mimi's Macros. Let us do the cooking. You focus on life
0: thanks for listening here's a little preview from the next episode of life and food with chef mimi
1: i traded in this one thing that was so bad for me and i'm just doing something else that's so bad for me there is nothing that motivates me more than when i feel like i don't have control over something because i love control (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) Not you! I love it so much. I, I love to like micro control everything and I'm always working on that because that's unhealthy too.